This is a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org. And I think they chose this particular um, um, session in the series um, because it's an area that I've really struggled most of my life. So it was so good for me to be able to go back and look at the Word of God and see what God was saying. And so our session this morning is, what did Jesus say about doing life together? And um, I just want to thank my the guys who've gone before me. That's, that's been Taps and Rob and Simba and Shingi and Mike um, and Rook. You put the bar so high, guys. <laughs> um, just thank you so much for your diligence in, in just bringing us the Word of God and for giving me reality checks every single week that we've done it. There's some things that stand out from the series that I'll never forget, one being Shingi's Fifty Shades of Greed, um, and one being Mike saying, don't ever go to Jesus when you have an agenda because he always gives you something harder than you expect. Um, and so I've been deeply impacted, so thank you so much to you guys. And so this morning I'm just going to share with you what did Jesus say about doing life together and you know, coming from a perspective of being a very independent, um, self-contained person. I went to boarding school when I was young. Um, I went off to university and I grew up in some difficult travel times in our country um, where we were not sure really if, especially as white people, if you had a future here. And so you, you lived very much self-contained and independent and you didn't talk too much about your feelings and emotions. You kept everything very much under wraps. And um, I just felt that God called me. I was going to be a Florence Nightingale or a Mother Teresa, and you cannot rob in, in his pursuit of me. He knew that I was single for Jesus and my life was sold out. And um, yeah, so our friendship ended up being very much prolonged before we actually got married. And because God was still dealing with my heart and breaking down walls that I placed around myself. And so I'm speaking to you from that perspective of someone who's really had to search the scriptures and see what did Jesus really say about sharing my life and about doing life together. So I want to issue a challenge to all of us today um, about what do we think Jesus is saying to us. And I want, as I'm speaking to you, I really am asking that God will speak to you and that you'll not be hearing my voice so much, but as um, the Holy Spirit searching your heart and, and um, speaking to you. So um, Percy, I'm not sure. Okay, is my slide change all working? So just by way of introduction, you know, I've spoke a little bit about myself being individualistic, and I just want to ask you, you know, are you family-centered, or are you individualistic? You know, in early societies, um, and certainly uh, probably before the turn of the century, we once were a society that centered around family. You know, generations, multiple generations often lived together in the same home, and, and when you left home, you didn't go far, you stayed in sort of more or less in the same village. You know, families sort of lived together. Um, but these days, we're much more of an individualistic culture. You know, we rely on ourselves. You know, we often move far away from home, and many of us have family members in the diaspora, you know, live in the UK, Australia, and, and they may come home once every couple of years or so. And then for those of us who are, in, who are unemployed, um, thanks, Percy, it's, I think my point is not working. Okay. You know, our engagement with people, for those of us, uh, those of us who are employed, um, centers only really around a superficial contact at work. Sometimes, some of us maybe have more interactions on social media with cyber relationships 
We spend more time on Facebook and Instagram than we do engaging with flesh and blood. Because it seems easier to do that. And Rob showed me a, a picture that was on the men's group. Um, I think it was yesterday or the day before, for those of you on the men's group, where you've got in 1916, all these men standing outside the buildings reading their newspapers. And then in 2016, it's everybody on their cell phones. <laughs> I think you, you saw that. And so just so that sort of, it's me, it's my world, that sort of sense of isolation that's, that's so prevalent in our society today. And what about the church? Um, can we just move on, sorry? What about church life? You know, from, from my own perspective and sort of churches that I've been in, we see that same sense of individualism. Thanks, Ryan. We see that same sense of individualism and almost disconnectedness in church life today. Many people serially date churches. I thought, wow, never really staying in one place long enough to build a strong relationship. Others of us may claim membership to a church. But we still remain distant and sort of stand on the margins of church life. And we attend when, there's some, when there isn't anything better going on. And then there are those of us who may indeed be committed to church and we say, yeah, KP is my church. But are we really fully in? Are we fully in community? Do we rely on the body when we're struggling or when we're in need? Or do we wear masks that cover our pain? and they pretend that everything's okay, and we do church for the cameras, when maybe things are really not okay inside. So what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say about doing life together? I've got two passages of scripture that I'd like to look at. And the first one is in John, John chapter 13. And I just want to paint the context of this before we go ahead and read the scripture. This is Jesus' final discourse, the final closing moments, the final act of his life on earth. The curtain's about to close as he goes to the cross. And so these are the final words that we have recorded from Jesus, from John 13 to John 17. And then he goes to the cross. And so I think what he says here is strategic. It's extremely important that we catch the heart of God before he goes to the cross. And so in John 13, it says, so when he, that's Judas, talking about Judas, had left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is seen for who he is, and God is seen in him. Children, I am with you for only a short time longer. You're going to look high and low for me. So Jesus warns them, he's exiting stage right. Where I go, you are not able to come. Let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way that I have loved you, you love one another. Double emphasis. He's trying to get a message across. And this is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples, when they see the love you have for each other. So Jesus is about to leave, and he's had this incredible ministry that the earth has never seen. Signs and wonders, you know, uh, food multiplying, demons cast out, dead raised, blind seeing. Incredible teaching. Everyone was amazed at the authority that Jesus spoke with. These were marks of a supernatural God invading earth. And yet he doesn't concentrate on any of the power ministries. He says simply, let me give you one thing. The thing that I'm leaving with you is love one another as I have loved you. That will be the demonstration that the kingdom of God has come. Not signs and wonders. It's the demonstration of the kingdom of God is that we love one another. 
I think it's quite strategic that you know, Jesus had left, Judas had left at this point because I think he wasn't in a place where he could comprehend it. So Jesus just leaves this parting shot to the 11 disciples. And, you, and if you go in and read that, the rest of the chapter, Peter didn't get it. He goes, so where are you going, God? You're kind of like, okay, he's talking about love, but God, where are you going? Because Jesus said, you're not, you can't come with me. I don't think they really got it at that point. And I think many of us have never really got this. If you look at the, the churches, the mega churches and the church movement today, particularly so from the 70s into the 80s, with the whole birth of the charismatic um, movement, you see an emphasis on signs and wonders. And you see the emphasis on community has got less and less and less. And I want to suggest that we've perhaps imbibed more of the world culture, the world system, where it's me and mine, and we've forgot, forgotten about the we and the us. And I think Jesus really wants to take us back to this. The world will know. They will recognize you by the love that you have for each other. Then the second passage I want to look for, look at, um, sorry, is um, in Mark. Let me just um, re recap quickly here. You see, in giving this command to love one another, Jesus now designated a group, a group identified by one thing. History had never seen this before. The one thing that marked this group of people was love. You know, there's many groups in the world, groups that are defined by skin color, by uniform, by a shared interest, by language, by socioeconomic grouping. Just think of the different groups. One group has tattoos and piercings. One group doesn't eat meat. One loves to dress in different uniforms. One has, there are different ways that we categorize ourselves. But the church is unique. I mean, just look at the person sitting next to you, the row behind you, the row in front of you, and just think, what is the common thread that unites us? You know, in the church, it's the first time in history where a people group was not designated by something that was external, by something, but by something that was internal. Here, skin color doesn't matter. Native language doesn't matter. Alan showed off with his individuality today. We don't have rules about diets and funny uniforms. We're identified by our love for one another. And then we go on to the next passage of Scripture in Mark, chapter 3. And just the context of this, is, it's a very busy chapter. Mark tends to do that. He packs his chapters. They're very punchy. They go from one event to the next event to the next event. You know, and Mark's just speaking about the multitudes coming to Jesus, pressing in on him. He talks about many multitudes that were healed. Demons were cast out. He speaks all about this in Mark, chapter 3. And then um, Jesus' mother and brothers come. And the crowds, it says the multitudes were pressing in. And someone comes to him and says, you know, over there, over there, Jesus, actually, there's your mother and your brothers. You know, do you not want to think about them? Because Jewish culture was strongly sort of oriented around the nuclear family. And Jesus, this is what it's, Mark records it as saying in, chapter, in verses 33 and 34 of chapter 3. It says, he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him. So he's looking at the 12. And he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, Jesus has just come down the mountainside, and he's just called the 12 to him. He called them. They were men from diverse backgrounds. I just went and did a quick research for my own interest of who the 12 disciples actually were. I mean, one was from royal blood. That was Thaddeus or, Thaddeus or Bartholomew. Others were fishermen. Matthew was a Roman um, employee, a tax collector. So they were from diverse backgrounds that came together. And Jesus selected them to come. And he said, in Mark, it says, first of all, to be with him. 
just so they could be with the master, absorb who he was as God in human form. Then to preach and then to heal. So he chose these men to live together. And then he looks at them. He's got pressure now to, to look after his biological family, to look at them. And he says, he looks and he gives his disciples a new identity. You're a family. You're my brothers. And he says to all of us who follow him today, who do God's will, we're his mother, we're his brothers. So you see this identity that Jesus is now setting us completely apart from, that it doesn't matter who we are, what our backgrounds are, what language we speak, we have a common unity, love for one another. And Jesus' favorite term for addressing God was Father. The New Testament records about 165 times he refers to God as Father, over 100 of Times of those were in the Gospel of John. And the entire Old Testament, God is referred to as Father 17 times. And 15 of those 17 times was in the context of the God, the father of Abraham, the father of Isaac. He was never referred to as a relatable being. If he was called Father, it was in the context of a creator. But here in the New Testament, when God comes to earth, he says, no, I want to be noble. I want to have this relationship with you. I am your father. You are brothers and sisters. He joins us in a common identity through a bloodline, a supernatural bloodline. Our Father, one Father, and His name is God. So let's move on and let's just talk about what the Bible says about community. I believe that individualism and doing life are not part of God's design. They are not. God Himself is a community, His Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He refers to himself as the triune God. And he created us to be in a community. He created man for fellowship. He wanted fellowship. He wanted a community with us. He wanted man and woman to be in a community. And he created families. That's God's idea. When God came to earth, he chose to be born into an earthly family. We know his father's name. We know his brother's. He had flesh and blood family. He could be identified as the son of Joseph and Mary with his brothers James and Jude. He endorsed family. He didn't just appear in the desert and someone said, oh, there's this spiritual guru. You can go and see him. No, he appeared in the context of human flesh in family relating to us. And he created a community, the 12 disciples. And then there were the woman that followed him. He created a community. And then following his death and resurrection and his ascension, we see the birth of the early church in Acts 2. A community was born, a community that surpassed anything that the world had ever seen. A community united in the commonality of Jesus, the Son of God, as Savior. And so marked by what we talked about in our devoted series if you remember well, we spoke about loving one another, caring for one another, taking care of each other's needs. Paul so eloquently wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, he spoke about now you are the body of Christ and individually you are members of it. We belong to one uniform whole and we are members of it, a common unifying force, the body of Christ. And then John in his writings, 1 John 4.21 says, And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must love his brother and sister. You see, a mark, a distinguishing mark of being a follower of Jesus Christ is a deep, sincere love for brothers and sisters in Christ. 
That's the mark of being a Jesus follower. And for those of, of us who are doing BIOY today, I was touched in the reading this morning, and I just quote what Nicky Gumbel said. He said, at the center of the message of Jesus is a love relationship with God, which starts with your own heart and then overflows into love for other people. KP, the mark of being a Jesus follower is a sincere, deep love for one another. I'm talking a lot about signs and wonders, and, and, and I don't want you to get the wrong message. They're important, but they are not the central things that unite us. Many of us have experienced great miracles in our lives, and yet think about it. Did that really draw you to one another? Did that draw you to love God? Hopefully it played a part, but it's not the central uh, being. It's not the central fact that holds us together with one another. Signs and wonders have their place, and we need them in the church. And I'm going to talk about that later. But I want to suggest that as we love one another, God comes and he makes his home in us. You know, in Revelation, we're going to all be around this throne. And it talks about people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation worshiping God in one unified chorus crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I believe heaven is going to be a corporate experience. I don't know if you're going to live in a house on your own or you're going to share it with extended family or KP's going to have a house and CLC's going to... I have no idea what heaven's going to look like. But I do know that the individual is not going to be what counts. It's going to be a corporate worship of Almighty God that goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. So I want to look at what a couple of Christian writers have said about the same issue. And the first uh, guy I've, I've looked at, um, I don't know if you know of Paul Tripp. He's a Christian author, writer, a speaker. And this is what he says. And I found this a really powerful statement, so I've included it today. It says, we weren't created to be independent, autonomous, or self-sufficient. We were made to live in a humble, worshipful, and loving dependency upon God, and in a loving and humble interdependency with others. Our lives were designed to be community projects. Have you ever thought of yourself as a community project? <laughs> Yet the foolishness of sin tells us that we have all that we need within ourselves. So we settle for relationships that never go beneath the casual. We defend ourselves when the people around us point out a weakness or a wrong. We hold our struggles within, not taking advantage of the resources God has given us. And that's each other. That's the one another. And then from Phil, Phil Moore's book, okay, this is the book that the series is, is based on, Gagging Jesus. Phil Moore says this. He says, we live in a culture that despises organized religion, which is strange because we wouldn't send our kids to a disorganized school or vote for a disorganized government. Our problem is not with organized religion at all, but with re religion which refuses us to let us follow God on our own terms. But that's precisely the reason why Jesus chose 12 disciples who were bound to clash with one another, because following him is not an individual affair. John Wesley was right when he taught that the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Jesus deliberately created a church culture 
which is reflected in the New Testament commands to love one another, serve one another, teach one another, bear with one another. We can't do life with Jesus unless we are willing to do life with one another. We can't do life with Jesus unless we are willing to do it with one another. You see, God never intended us for any of us to live the Christian life alone. But at the mere mention of the word community, people look at you as if you've come from another planet. There's a fear they're going to tell you, we're going to tell you to sell your house, give up all your possessions, you know, come and live together in the zone, something like that. <laughs> but because we misunderstand community, we don't even want to think about it. We often just push it aside. But if we do this, we run the risk of, of depriving ourselves and the church of one of God's greatest gifts. We do not have to follow the Christian call to community in rigorous or radical ways. The Bible doesn't require or even give special blessing to certain forms of community. What it is about is relationships. Structure is not the point. It's about relationships. And I'm quoting Phil Moore again. Phil Moore says, doing life with other people reveals to us the depth of sin which lurks hidden away in our hearts. Ooh, I found that, that a heavy loaded statement. I'm going to say it again. Doing life with other people always reveals to us the depth of sin which lurks hidden in our hearts. That's why Jesus called the 12 disciples together for a season, in order that he might send them out to preach the gospel. Because it is only in community that we learn to fully respond to the gospel ourselves. He also says this, and just reflect on this for a moment. Often the friends we choose to do life with tend to be of a similar age, race, and education to ourselves. So they cannot challenge our sinful hearts in the same way as the diverse mishmash of people Jesus assembles together as his church. Think about how you naturally gravitate, who you naturally gravitate to you, to, and ask yourself, can this person really challenge me? That's why God put us together as KP, because there's issues in Alan's life there's issues in my life, issues in Sean's life. But unless we rub shoulders together, Alan will stay with his issues, I'll stay with mine and Sean with his. But we'll bring them together on a common stage, and I'll talk about the forums in closing. That's when the rubber hits the road. We can live life together as God wants us to in a great variety of ways. I believe that there's no prescription to this. We can find ways that strengthen rather than distract us from our vocations, our families, and other commitments that we've made. But the good news is community is a gift from God. It's simply sharing a common life in Christ. That's what community is about. It moves us beyond my self-interested isolation. It moves me to interface with you. It moves me beyond my superficial con social contacts that pass for Christian fellowship. 
the biblical idea of community challenges us to commit our lives together, to doing life together as the people of God. And I firmly believe that it's in Christian community and in that context that we grow and that we mature. That that's the place where we're challenged. If I stay at home behind my four walls and I'm watching one of the evangelists on TV and, yeah, I might be seeing you once or twice um, at some prayer meeting, but unless I'm interacting in community, I will remain me with my issues. But Paul spoke very, very, very strongly into this point. And he says the way we will mature and grow like Christ is by emulating him. And I want to read, it's quite a long passage, but, and um, forgive me for reading from the message translation, but I found this spoke exactly what I wanted to say. And when God says something, he always says it much better than I ever can. So this is the message translation, and I've taken it from Ephesians chapter 1, and I've taken some, ex uh, chapter 4, sorry, from verses 1. I've taken a few verses up to 25, and then to chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And in the message, it's, it's interesting, it actually heads it to be mature. That's what we want to do. We want to grow up. We want to mature. And this is what the message says. In the light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road that God has called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off. In other words, hey guys, everyone's got a part to play. Okay. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. inwardly. You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So, so stay together both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who rules over all, works through all, and, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. I wonder which church he's talking about. And then he goes on to say, but that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. That's not what this is about. That's not all. It's not all about, about us all conforming to a specific um, appearance. He said, out of the generosity of Christ, each of us has been given his own gift. Please just look at your neighbor and say, you have been given a gift. I didn't say that, God said that. <laughs> it says, the text for this is, and Paul goes on to say, he climbed the high mountain, he captured the enemy and seized the booty. He handed it all out in gifts to the people. Is it not true that the one who climbed up also climbed down? 
and, and the one who climbed uh, down to the valley of earth. And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up again to the highest heaven. And it says he handed out gifts above and below. He filled heaven with his gifts. He filled earth with his gifts. He handed out the gift of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor teacher to train Christ followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body. There is no room for one man, band, prophet, evangelist. But he says he gives it out working within Christ's body, the church, until we are all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. So the gifts were given, you each have a gift, I have a gift, and it's for us to express in the body. Why? So that we will become fully mature, fully alive, fully like Christ. He goes on to say, no prolonged infancies among us, please. We will not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. No, on the other hand, God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love like Christ in everything. We take our lead like Christ, who is the source of everything, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we'll grow up healthy in God, robust in love. And then dropping down uh, to verse um, 25, it says, So you have not learned Christ. My assumption is you have paid careful attention to him, well instructed in the truth, precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything I do, and I mean everything connected with the old way of life, must go. In this context, I believe he's referring to our individualistic, self-centered self-preservation approach to life. He said it's rotten through and through, get rid of it, and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself out into your conduct as God accurately produces his character in you. What this adds up to then is this, no more lies, no more pretense. No more doing Christianese by, for the cameras. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. And then going on to chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, he says, and this is the key that everything hinges on. Watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, Alan spoke to that in the baby, baby dedication. Children follow their parents. Parents, you're the role models for the way you kids grow up. If you want to see what your kids will look like in 10, 20 years' time, look at your life today. Watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Observe what Christ did. He didn't love cautiously. He loved extravagantly. Paul is exhorting the Ephesians in this passage for 
uh, of chapter 4 and 5, to walk together, outwardly and inwardly. Paul said, the love of Christ compels me because one died for all. So we live. This, this is a new way of living and thinking. This is a total mind shift change, particularly for people like me. And maybe some of you there. Jesus did it. So must we. So how does Jesus love? He loves us unconditionally. Romans 5 verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us sacrificially. 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He loves us with forgiveness, extravagant forgiveness. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He loves us eternally, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or principalities, and he goes on and on and on, nothing nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing separates us from the love of God. What separates us from our brothers? and from our sisters. If we're going to love like God, this is how we love, unconditionally, sacrificially, forgiving, eternally. But how do I get there? I mean, this is a tall order to observe what God, how Christ loved us, and then this cautious, extravagant love, it's an uncautious, extravagant love. Mine is totally opposite. I test the water. I see if I can trust you. I'll see, will you reject me? Can I tell you the truth? No. I tiptoe around relationships. How do I get to the point of loving like God loves? I don't naturally love with a 1 Corinthians 13 love. To love like that, there has to be a heart change. My heart has to change. I need to realize that I'm a sinner before God, that Christ died for me, that he rose again. He forgave me. He genuinely loves me. I become then a recipient of his love and of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in me. And Romans 5 verse 5 says, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know the Holy Spirit lives within you? And Ronald spoke about that in worship. Tapua shared about that as well, that we are indwelt by Almighty God. We sang it. We said it this morning. So what's the consequence? What does it look like in my life? It looks like this. It looks like loving my brother. It looks like engaging in relationships. That's what it looks like. It looks like accepting Alan with his Irish accent and sometimes brusque manner. It looks like accepting who we are for each other. Sorry, Alan. We can speak afterwards. I forgive you. Okay. You see, I am enabled to show unconditional love, sacrificial love, forgiving love, to fellow believers, not because I can work it up and stir it up, because I have access to the Holy Spirit. I am indwelt by the Spirit of God, who enables me, empowers me to love you, 
to love my family, to love my friends, my co-workers, and Jesus doesn't stop there, even my enemies. And this is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Two more, uh, two more things I just want to share with, and I'm just going to quickly allude to these. What are the benefits of being in community? I think we've spoken about that quite, um, quite a lot, but I'll just talk about the safety. Godly brothers and sisters to watch our back. You know when you're deceived, the last person to know you're deceived is, is yourself. When you're walking in deception, you don't know. We need one another to say, hey, brother, hey, sister, you know, I saw that stuff you posted on Facebook. Are you okay? But if you have no one who can speak into your life like that, we stand prey to the enemy. We need godly brothers and sisters to watch our back. Seeing Christ in others. When I see you loving one another, when I see Alan taking care of the kids, I know Jesus lives. It's Jesus with skin on it. Um, we spoke um, just briefly with Brian and Cece. We spoke about, you know, if you haven't had an earthly father, it's fine to say, yes, God is your father. He's the father to the fatherless. But actually, sometimes what you need is love with skin on it. And we see that in, in, in Christian community. But if we stand back and isolate ourselves and don't engage with one another, we deprive ourselves of seeing Jesus in reality. Accountability and guidance. I need to say, please look at my life. Is there anything that you see in me that's offensive? Do I have people who can speak into my life? Do you have people? Are your purple book groups becoming that place where you can speak into one another's lives? Share issues that you are going through. Ask for prayer. Community is the place where this can happen. A place to pray and worship. Paul talks about when you come together, everyone has a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song, a word of encouragement. Every single person. But yet we come to church Sunday after Sunday and never speak ever. No one, you don't ever come up here. Where is the place that you can do that? It's probably not here because the elders, the leadership team choose and say, okay, we're going to do the series. This is what we're going to do. But in your small groups, in community, in purple book groups, in life groups, in prayer groups, you need to be able to have this an outlet for the gift that God has given you, where you can bring a word, bring a song. That's how we grow. That's how we come to maturity. A place of service where we can serve one another. And that's what's so gratifying as being part of this church. When I was sick last year, people brought meals to my home. It was such a blessing and such a testimony to my family, to my kids. Wow, people love you. It's expressed in acts of service. Community provides a place for that, a, a place of witness to the world. And Jesus said in John 13, 35, they will know because of your love for one another. That is the distinguishing mark of us as Christians. So in closing, I wanted to give us an issue, a call to community. You know, the practice of community, Christian community is quite simply the gospel lived out in your life, in my life. It is the way that people around us will see Jesus. It strengthens me, it strengthens you to live the life which God has called you to.
It conveys God's life and power to the world. It's the vehicle that he uses more than anything else to display who he is. It is necessary, and preferably in the smaller groups where each one of us can know and be known. Purple book groups, for example, great opportunity to live this out. And in closing, I want to leave this thought with you. When we imagine that we, as Christians and humans, can live in total independence and self-sufficiency, we are deluding ourselves. God, from the very beginning, never intended we should go through the world alone. We simply cannot experience the full power and delight of life with God without being drawn into life together with our sisters and brothers in Christ. Without experiencing such life together, we will not discover the wonderful news about who Jesus really is. Community is not to be feared. We should welcome it. And our reward will be to enter into the life that God intends us to live. So we want to invite you, come and join, be part of the KP community. Thank you. You have been listening to a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org.